Are you ready for this? I am. Now it's do 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 Are you ready for this? Ah yeah. The place to stay. Get your booty on the floor tonight. Make my day. That's a good one too. We're back in action, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about. Tayyip Erdogan's um, presidency from 2002 to the president, its travails, the the passion, the promise, and the um, and the the escapades, and the football highlights, and the football highlights, and yes, and as you mentioned, and I didn't know this before, you you told me that Erdogan was a great soccer player. I think yeah, I think he's kind of revered as a as a at least a good one i mean it's probably he's considered a better one now that he's president because you don't want to critique the president's skills yeah. yeah well he plays soccer a lot better than um anthony fauci throws a baseball <laughs> oh god what, have you seen anthony it, fauci throw, throw the first pitch the out opening pitch for the nationals or something no yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, it's horrible, dude. I mean, I in fact, I want you to open up a, a tab right now and watch it. And I want to see your reaction. It can't be worse than than Fifty Cents. Uh, no, I think it is, dude. Watch. <laughs> All right, watching. He looks like someone who's he's claims he's a big baseball fan. He looks like he's never thrown a baseball in his life. Baseball. Anthony Fauci throws for. Oh yeah, a lot of views here. Okay, let's see. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> It looks he was like he's like to the first he, baseman. What the fuck? I know. He's like he's. It looks like he he's throwing it from his offhand, like his left hand, and it's broken. Dude, this is not an incentive for anybody to get the vaccine. Jesus Christ! No, I mean Horrible. when I saw that, I I, I did trust now? him less, and I didn't trust him much to be. Oh, dude, the one I, the the one I found is just looping him, throwing it over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> uh, horrible. Okay. Anyway, we're keeping this in the recording because this is the good kind of banter that our, I know our fans like. Um, but no, in all seriousness, we're going to be talking about Erdogan and especially the way that um, Tuyul Sihan Tuyul, this um, writer for New Left Review, has written a number of pieces on Turkey, describes the changes in um, Erdogan's hegemonic political power mm-hmm. and the, the way that aspects of his coalition have basically disintegrated throughout his presidency and how he's tried to basically reconsolidate a, a new form of, of rule based on a whole uh, several different constituencies. Although the, 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 as we mentioned before in our previous episode, this sort of Anatolian um, petty bourgeois business class um, aspect is still a major pillar of it. Mm-hmm. But those that were part of it before have sort of moved away as um, his foreign policy has changed and his relationship to the military and um, civic bureaucracies has changed as well. So to begin with, um, Erdogan's presidency began, and I think you can probably you probably remember this from when we were in college. We went to college with a number of Turkish um, students. And they probably represent, um, in a lot of ways, the um, aspirations of that generation of young people. Many of their parents probably were had this idea that Erdogan was a kind of liberal is represented this um, liberal Islamic political force mm-hmm. um, in Turkey and in the region, which means a, a few things. It means, on the one hand, um, it was he comes to power basically at the end or tail end of um, a whole cycle of suppression and repression of um, the um, Kurds. 
So he enjoys a kind of peace dividend from that. And so they see him as someone who basically can continue to pacify this um, seeping wound in the, na- in the you know, national identity and in um, civic and political life mm-hmm. and end this counterinsurgency. He's also seen as embodying a kind of tamed Islamism. That would that both absorb popular masses of those basically dispossessed, both in the countryside and, um, um, you know, in marginal employment in the cities, and um, be a kind of Western-oriented political leader who would both be a um, a, a key member of NATO, but also be um, pursuing this entry into the EU, which. You know, you can anyone can understand as you know of young people who are Western Western um, leaning would see that as um, a great indication of you know future success, right? Well, it's also it's also Simps- a way of integrating closer with the capitalist market, which is always good for those petty bourgeois uh, adherents to his party, right? So I mean, and so like I was saying, you know, we went to school with a lot of people who were. You know, I guess basically we could say, and according to Tuyal's reading, is this this sort of illusion of of Erdogan's liberalism yeah. that they had then. That's the major part of his coalition. And then um, also another important part was the um, Gulenist um, um, forces, which are basically it's a kind of um, religious civic action kind of organization led by this guy Gulen, who's um, who heads these educational institutes? Mm-hmm. He now lives in um, in Pennsylvania as the, after falling out with um, with Erdogan, but um, that was also an important um, source of um, support for him. Now, uh, I just remember this this article opening with a description of the Turkish model, and um, mm-hmm. I think a quote from Obama that Turkey is a model partner or something to that effect. And mm-hmm. it, there's kind of there's a really nice picture of uh, I don't know if if Tuol would call it the myth of liberal Islamism, but um, I just like to to get a sense of Tuol's take on um, how liberal Islamism is breaking down, right? Because there's there's he he tells the story that we did in the first episode where you know it's the the coups, the ethnic cleansing, etc. And Erdogan's legacy is kind of rooted in all of this history going back to Kamal, Menderes, Demerol, etc., arguably. So what's new about Erdogan? And why is the facade of liberal Islamism now breaking down? Um, well, what's new about um, Erdogan, I guess, is the combination of, of being both a kind of populist, um, populist Islamic um, core of support mixed with left liberal, left liberal consent, too. Because which is no longer with him today, but at the start of his presidency, at the beginning, right. that was very much at the beginning of his presidency. It was very much the case. So in 2002, he comes to power with this sort of peace dividend after the um, end of the suppression and counterinsurgency against the Kurds mm-hmm. and um, the belief that um, he's basically going to be able to maintain uh, peaceful relations and basically kind of neutralize that issue, make some concessions that I think the Kurds wanted about um, – language education and schools and stuff like that. Um, although I don't know, I don't really know too much about this. Um, but also be a Western facing political leader, be poised to not only be a responsible stakeholder in NATO, Mm -hmm. but, um, also to 
seek membership into the EU, which, you know, we all know now doesn't really come to anything. But in early 2000s, it was very much uh, um, a topic of feverish conversation. And in fact, that's the reason why Perry Anderson wrote that piece in New Old World, was to consider the larger historical trajectory or, or, or um, conditions under which such a thing could even be thought. He's also, I think that this piece, this, this article um, by Tuyol, is good also on dispelling some of the illusions that were part, that were inscribed in that coalition, which is to say the way that left liberals thought about Erdogan was mistaken in a number of respects. The first being that he was going to totally reform the um, military and um, sort of military judicial civic bureaucracy that um, although not full of Islamic fundamentalists or anything, not well, that doesn't have that problem with it. Mm-hmm. It's a it is a authoritarian. Um, it is the source of a huge problem of authoritarianism. So left liberals um, also have a at least then had more of an antagonistic relationship to it, um, and he maintained the interests or the um, the support, I should say, of the Anatolian um, business class. So these are more like provincial, you know, and, and according to a lot of the secular elites, less um, less cultured, um, petty bourgeois business class sector of the economy that um, is often referred to as Anatolian tigers, and they um, support him as well. So he brings in a whole coalition of different um, different at, different parts of society. This this is what uh, Tawal calls the hegemonic formula, at least the first hegemonic formula. I think it's right. a setup for describing whether there's uh, the need or a successful uh, pitch forward in creating a second hegemonic formula, to what extent that would be possible. Right. And so he says also, you know, how can we, you know, he's, he's basically criticizing, you know, just as we, you know, we have experienced this under Trump, perhaps, this sort of hyperbolic explanation of a ruler and by calling, by now referring to, um, Erdogan is Islamo-fascist. So they went from supporting him. So as I'll say, much of this left liberal view of Erdoganism is a, as a type of left fascism with neo-Ottoman imperial ambitions depends on a number of illusions about the socioeconomic and military basis of the previous Turkish model that they once lauded. So just as left liberals here are so like, you know, you know, kind of hyperbolically running around with their hair on fire about Trump being a fascist, um, there's a similar thing going on in Turkey. Of course, left liberals never supported Trump to begin with, but it's it's an interesting um, case in this in this Turkish example. When um, although there is no doubt that Erdogan has become more authoritarian over the course of this period, um, none of it is um, a kind of total break from previous practice, and right. that's what Tuyal is going to kind of basically outline. Um, so combining, you know, both doing a kind of analysis of how much Erdogan has changed. Looking at how left liberal opinion about him um, never paid attention to many of the things that are actually still the same in, in in Erdogan's form of rule. What was so? What are some of the left liberal characteristics, though? I mean, he was he, he can't just he can't just by decree gain their support. What kind of measures had he been implementing at this earlier period to win over? Um, and I, I don't know exactly what you mean by left liberal, but I. I I would guess like um, you know, like social democrats, maybe elements of the trade unions, et cetera. Yeah. Basically, the big thing is the um, the 
the Kurdish issue and then turning westward, being westward leaning. So that also meant open to NISTA capital markets, um, keeping interest rates down. Like the whole economic model is basically dependent upon a kind of like hot money and running the running the um, the economy hot to um, maintain a form of investment. And then later on, um, with Erdogan heavily on real estate and infrastructure investment, that becomes a big aspect of the crony form of capitalism that's now seen to be the sort of pathological um, trajectory that his his rule has taken. I think there there was a mass housing plan or something to that effect called Toki, T O K I. Mm-hmm. Um, was that about the limit of the social welfareism that he that he if if you would even call it that? But was there? I I don't know enough about it really to say for sure. But I I know that you know there's a I wonder if there's an aspect of left liberals being actually feeling resentful about that because he brought in a bunch of his supporters to live in those areas. And I bet you there was a cultural um, issue of, you know, bringing in people to the major cities who hadn't been living there before and basically creating conditions for his supporters to live there. But we will talk about, we should talk about that when it, um, okay. we get to it, but yeah, but there was, you know, Toki privatized public lands and boosted the fortunes of construction tycoons while also building large swaths of apartments for lower and middle-class regime supporters that had lo- relocated to major cities. Yeah, so, so and, a real, a real um, material factor is at play here. It's not just right. the, the, pro- right. and the if promise you, of entering the EU buys off. Right, but if you remember also the Gezi Park protests, which yeah. were, I think, mm-hmm. what, in 20, 2014, 2013? Around that, sure. yeah. Um, a prior prior to the coup attempt, yeah. It, y- yeah, years, so if years that's in 2016. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... You recall that that was about the taking over of a public public park right, yeah. that was going to be used for development. I'm not sure if it was a mall or if it was going to be in apartment buildings, but that was a basically a kind of left liberal, many college students, also the sort of leftist coalition, you know, a kind of much younger kind of coalition of both of I heavily inflected with both identity politics, but also some of the old left too. And they were opposed to that effort. And so I don't know how much the left appreciated those building projects. Yeah. Yeah. You were talking about, uh, one element of this hegemonic formula being uh, bringing over Gulenist officers to kind of stack the military. Um, yeah. I guess Gulen from the start could have been a contender for power, but uh, Erdogan played his cards to have him and his uh, his cronies stack the you know certain aspects of the state, you know, positions of power. Right. And I think this is subsequent to a period of um, investigations known as the Argenicon and Sledgehammer investigations and uh i I like those names they're cool but i don't know what they are could you tell us a little bit about how this process i have no idea no no i I can't tell you about them (laughs) exactly um because i'm not that informed um but basically i can tell you this basically because i what i'm saying is i can't tell you um exactly what um crimes were investigated in each trial but i i know that it was basically a way of purging the you know populist religious elements from the from the army and um, bureaucracies. But then when 
Erdogan came to power, he used public trials of his own to install Gulenists into the military. And that's and that will ultimately not come back well, come back to Biden, but he'll ultimately overcome it. Um, but that will be the sort of source of the um the danger in 2016 of the Gulenists no longer content with um, Erdogan's rule, trying to par- at least participating heavily in an attempt to start a coup. It's interesting, yeah, because it's in, it's in keeping with that um, critique you just gave about left liberal illusions. It's not that they were trying to dismantle the authoritarian military structure of the state. It's just exactly. they're re-infiltrate they're infiltrating it essentially and repopulating yeah. it repl- with, with their own. Right, replacing the personnel, basically. Yeah, yeah. And the, and I should also say that Gulenists were heavily um, um, in the Air Force too. And if you remember during 2016, one of the you know, most noteworthy um, things on international in the international press was the was the fighter jets strafing the the city, not firing but flying by the city low, yeah. and then also preventing Erdogan's plane from landing. That's right. Yeah. I just remember. I think it was Erdogan. He had to. He had to communicate out to the West through his iPhone. There was like a weird video of him on his iPhone doing. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is great PR for for Apple. Yeah. Um, but th- you know, just to try to structure the conversation a bit, I I thought that Tawal's piece is well organized, and the description you just gave is is a nice way of talking about that first period of, um, you know that first period of the AKP becoming hegemonic and really a dominant party. We talked about sort of the coalitions, uh, coalition governments going back to that post-Kamal period, but this is very much the AKP through and through. There's not much uh, peep of dissidents, um, you know, against the AKP. But beyond that, he talks about economics, um, some of the economic problems that uh, Erdogan has, has faced, or faced right away under the AKP model. And I thought we could just talk about that some of the overheating of the economy could you give us sort of a flavor of uh what what that period was like economically yeah i think we should start there because we're marxists so we have to start with economics right well as we learned from the from the uh pettis and klein discussion we're fake marxists but yeah sure yeah Um, we're babies we're economic babies we have to watch youtube videos to describe current account balances don't please don't (laughs) use that phrase at all you can say inflation that's the extent of the jargon you can use well, it's basically a, um, a economic model dependent on credit-fueled demand creation, openness to capital markets, mm-hmm. so heavily dependent on hot money coming in. Also, export-led manufacturing was very much the source of the boom in the early 2000s. Because of that, you know, heavy or that what we say heavy reliance on foreign capital and openness um, before Erdogan was president. They were hard hit by the 1997 um, Asian financial crisis. And then they put in all these Washington consensus reforms. And AKP sort of continues with that economic policy, but combines it with a little bit of social welfare housing policy. And you could say that's the, that's the development and justice aspect that they, that they emphasize. So part of part of the the liberal uh, side of that liberal Islamism is the financial deregulation and opening up to foreign markets, which um, I guess was less of a factor under some of the more well. I, I, we talked about Demiral or, or Ojal being sort of the the uh, person who introduced neoliberalism to Turkey, but this yeah. is in keeping with that trajectory, right? Yes, and Turkey under Erdogan's leadership weathered the 
2008 financial crisis better than Turkey did the 1997 Asian financial crisis. Um, and a lot of that has to do with it maintaining its openness while the U.S. and the West, you know, did QE, open the spigots of um, trillions of dollars um, to and other cre- central banks. Credit, essentially, yeah. Yeah, and um, kept interest rates near zero. And so with that, Turkey found itself cash rich and had a, basically a kind of a huge boost of debt-dependent expansion. And helping it weather that, um, you know, this uh, the crisis was um, a huge expansion of household debt, which peaked at about 50% of disposable income in 2013. And that was up from a household household debt of um, 5% of disposable income in 2002. So that's a huge Jesus, increase, yeah. right? Um, there was breakneck. There was a lot of growth, though, export-led along with um, expansion of um, construction projects as well as um, luxury consumption. And Tuyal tries to describe this as a very kind of – It's a very that was a very frenetic and anxiety-rich period, although there's uh, there was growth. They, they sort of – grew out of it a bit, they um, also created conditions in which the poor and working class suffered from an unpredictable existence and are overlain with a lot more debt than they had been before. Can you say Can you say anything about um, the special attention that Tawal gives to the Turkish-Qatari relationship in this period? It seems to be, um, you know, of special significance beyond the, you know, the capital flows from the United States. So um, Erdogan strengthens the relationship with Qatar through, I mean, there's a, there's a whole geopolitical aspect to this, mm-hmm. but also um, in order to help fund um, investment in construction projects, he relied heavily on Qataris. And um, Tuyal basically thinks of this as a major nexus, which helps to um, expand um, Erdogan's patrimonial control. So this sort of Turkish-Qatari friendship along with a kind of family patrimonial um, control of major sort of economic governance structures. Um, his sons-in-laws and stuff like that taking over major ministerial positions, but also um, being in charge of um, important sectors of the economy. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that Tuyal, um, you know, he does or writes about um, describing um, Erdogan's economic leadership is this sort of pursuit of national uh, manufacturing projects with a patriotic tinge and, of course, a form of patrimonial or clientelist um, control. There's the BMC group, which produced military and commercial vehicles. There's the you know investment and production and development of combat drones, assembled by his son-in-law um, Seljuk Bayraktar, um, and those become very important in um, the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict and in Libya. And of course, and also this is also important: strengthen ties with China. Turkey is seen as a you know, kind of very important corridor for um, trade between Europe and the East. And um, after making signing an agreement in uh, what 2015 on the Belt and Road Initiative, mm-hmm. um, four years later, a train from Xi'an pulled into Ankara. Chinese capitals bought up a bunch of Turkish firms, and Alibaba um, invested in a major e-commerce platform in Turkey for 750 million. It's called. Trendial. 
Um, and a bilateral, and during this period, also bilateral trade with China grew from one billion dollars in two thousand to twenty three billion in two thousand and eight. Sorry, in in twenty in twenty eighteen. Sorry, it's just interesting to me those few things that you read are kind of like there's like this nationalist tinge or like going it alone aspect to the you know to tur- the Turkish economy, which is unusual mm-hmm. for um, you know this kind of like the these these descriptions like you get from Obama that they're a model nation. It's they're almost you know becoming autarkic in a sense, but beyond that, they're turning towards China more than they are exactly. other parts of. The, you know, they're not turning towards the West. In fact, these major developments here are all towards Belt and Road. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it really actually is true that they are the they are a middle corridor. Like half of their exports go to Europe, uh-huh. and they but yet they also have made this turn towards China, and they're trying to take make take on a bigger role as a shaper of events in the Middle East, and that's something that the United States doesn't like. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as we get into the, the geopolitical um, gambits that Erdogan has made. <laughs> 